My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post credit pod. We are getting into everything, all the theories, all the breakdowns of episode seven of WandaVision. Eric, can you believe that we are already basically done with WandaVision? We've got two more episodes, which is not a lot. And I feel like we've been kind of in Westview for much longer than we actually have been. In a good way. I was going to say, time has passed so fast. It's like our world is not even real. Who knows? Who knows, man? Listen, if you woke up tomorrow and someone had like basically tipped you off that you were in a Wanda-created alternate reality... But it was still your be, regular life. Like, would you? I gotta be honest. If I woke up in like 1995, I'd be souped. 1985, even the 70s. Once we're even the 60s. Anything before that, it actually. No, I'm gonna cut that off in the <laughs> 70s. I'm I think that's that a good off. call. That's a good I'm call. Cut that off in the 70s. But if I woke up as me, like with my job somehow yeah. in like the mid 90s, oh, forget about it, dude. I'd be so <laughs> excited. You actually get to be one of the first people to review like Jurassic Park or something. <laughs> that would be that'd be awesome. I'm even just thinking like, really, you know, it's a curse because while I'm good at my job and it's part of my job, social media is the fucking worst and I hate it. And just like cell phones overall. So yeah. for me, like the 90s, right before, like we still were in modern times, but we didn't have all the stuff that has since come to ruin our lives. So that's <laughs> kind of like that sweet spot. I think that's a really solid answer. You know, like we still have air conditioning and indoor plumbing and a whole, we still got HBO. Email. We just, we just don't have any of the other bullshit. That yeah, comes all that. shit that's come to rot our brains. <laughs> anyway. Well, that's fair. All right. Well, before we get into all of WandaVision and all of our hypothetical alternate realities that we may or may not be living in, let us hit the week's news, starting off with a story that may or may not piss you off or make you elated, depending on which side of the Star Wars spectrum you fall on. In an upcoming exclusive interview with writer-reporter Soraya Wilson, Ryan Johnson seemingly reconfirms, not for the first time, that his Star Wars trilogy is indeed still in, in development at Lucasfilm. Now, Disney did not even mention Ryan Johnson and his planned trilogy, which was initially originally announced before The Last Jedi came out in 2017. They didn't even mention it at Disney's Investor Day uh, last in December 10th. So is Which this I find to be the key thing here, right? Mm-hmm. My big question is, is like, is Ryan Johnson just saying, you know, willing things into the universe that he wants to still happen? Is it actually happening or is Lucasfilm as evidenced by their behavior over the last four years over that completely. You know, I don't know. Does he strike you? I, I can't really speak to him, but like, does he strike you as somebody who would just go out and say some shit like that? I, I mean, I've actually interviewed Ryan plane. Johnson before and he, he just could not have been a nicer, more intelligent, great guy. I personally don't think he just makes things up or tries to will things into the universe that necessarily aren't happening. I, I think there's probably a kernel of truth to what he's saying. I just do find it suspicious that we haven't gotten a single iota of official updates in four years. Yeah, the first thing it made me think of that the other thing that they didn't announce at Investor Day was the Gina Carano Cara Dune series that uh, that we have since seen that she was in line to get, but Disney had told her like tone her down and she didn't tone her down. So to paraphrase Mighty Ducks too to Gina Carano, you lost it for yourself. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Yeah, the Good Iceland job. guy. The Iceland guy. He's like, you lost it for me, Gunner. He's like, you lost it for yourself. 
Um, he was right. But my, and, but and my so point is that, like, that's the only other point of reference I have for something that was supposedly planned but didn't show up during their investor day, right? And it wasn't because of a good thing. So does that mean that that's the same case here, that it was not announced because of something not going well behind the scenes? Are they potentially just trying to wait out the last Jedi fervor and the rise of Skywalker fervor, which I don't even know if that's possible? <laughs> I don't. Now, Again, social media. Right, exactly. Um, I had put here in our notes, trigger warning here, you and I are both fans of this film. You know, I totally understand its flaws, 100%. And as I've talked about on this podcast thousands of times, I, despite their clear lack in legacy-making quality, I prefer the new films just because relate is the wrong word, but I can appreciate all of the sci-fi that's trying to give me more. I have this in my top three-ish Star Wars films, and I think that the last hour and a half, you know, this side of Rogue One, is as good as Star Wars has ever been in my life. So if you tell me that, and as you put out in a great tweet, if you tell me that you're going to give the keys back to this guy who not only has done this film, but has done two other pieces of pop culture that I adore. Looper flirts with my top 10 films of all time and top 15-ish. And the Ozymandias Breaking Bad is obviously, and I'm not the only one to say this, one of the greatest hours of TV all time. So you combine those three things and tell me that he's going to get throw a- Knives Out and Brick into there too, in just terms of his oeuvre. Oh, of course. I love Knives Out. Uh, I've yet to see Brick, but the point oh, is that great. he has he has made art that I deeply relate to. So, so I am very appreciative of what he brings. So if you're telling me that, and this gets back to the tweet that you put out, if you're telling me that they're going to give this guy a fresh mm-hmm. shot unencumbered by all the baggage of J.J. Abrams and Luke Skywalker and blah, blah, blah. I cannot see it. And with the added bonus of him learning from what went wrong, correctly went wrong or perceived went wrong, he is now learned. So it could only be something great. Yep. I mean, like, like I said, like you've said, He's an original, versatile voice who continues to seemingly get better with each passing big project. Uh, I, of course, want to see him come up with his own corner of the Star Wars land. So hopefully that is true, because I would like to see it happen. Moving on, though, we got our first Cruella trailer. From the very beginning, I realized I saw the world differently than everyone else. That didn't sit well with some people. But I wasn't for everyone. This is like years in the making. Because I remember the Emma Stone as young Cruella DeVille rumors were like 2016, 27. This is a while in the making. We finally get our you know, first real look. Disney has been churning out these live action remakes quietly for like 10 years now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think Alice in Wonderland was the first, at least the first to definitely start the trend. And that was 2009-ish, I want to say. Yeah, 2010, I believe. So, like, they're in, so uh, I bring that up because it, it's not a surprise to hear that this film has been in the works for years. Now, boom, here it is. Yep. And I was shocked at how good the trailer looked, in my opinion. A lot of people think it looks really stupid. That's, that's totally fine. Yeah. But then I was reminded by a ton of very smart uh, followers on Twitter Directed by Craig G- uh, Gillespie, Giuseppe, apologize if I'm butchering that, who did I, Tanya, which is really good, and mm-hmm. co-written by Tony McNamara, who, who, co-wrote, who wrote The Favorite and created The Great on Hulu. So, like, very esoteric, eccentric 
hilarious and thinly veiled dark pieces of art that is a very cool kind of mix for this Cruella. Now, I think one criticism that was rightly pointed out is that trailer is not really for kids. That's for adults looking for a new spin on what they loved as kids, which is fair. I get that. But kids can watch that, though. It's not going to be too dark kids, for them. No, kids can watch it. But I'm just saying, if a, an 11 year old sees that trailer, I don't think they're going like, Mommy, Mommy, we got to see that one. Here's the key to this whole thing, right? It looks okay, but we know that Emma Stone's charm alone can carry an entire film. Yeah, she's good. Um, this is, you know, I think back a lot to Easy A is, and this was early in her career, but it is, despite technically, I, I don't know if I'd call it a chick flick because it's a comedy, but it's obviously. I like, I like Easy A a lot. It's, uh, well, the point that I'm getting to is. You could see back then that like that movie, she literally carries the entire film, right? It is it is a tour de force of charm. So she's the sell here. Yes, the IP is sort of the glitz and and like what was sold in the pitch, but the sell to the audience, I think, is her, right? I think you're full Harley Quinn in here. You're tuning in to see her do her thing, and I'm down for that. You know, as long as it's she. She could make something that's okay, good. And I think that that's what we'll have here. I think this could be better than good, man. I mean, better than okay. I think it looks good, and I like the talent involved. And like, yeah, like you said, Emma Stone, all day. You have a special uh, special fan cast that you oh, like well, this, Yeah, well, because I was thinking about, obviously, as we have to do in these times, it is eventual that all of the biggest, not all of them, but most of the big A-list stars end up in a cape in some way shape or form i have a theory that leo will enter some sort of franchise blockbuster uh in his 50s not in the main role but in a cool supporting role right right i'm fucking tired of climbing into freezing rivers and like doing method shit like let me just get that paycheck oh man could you imagine that that's That's for another pod yeah yeah that's the podcast what leo what role what he should do yeah uh so my point is that and i was thinking how i recently watched the Harley Quinn cartoon, which is hilarious and way better than it should be. And I was thinking about Poison Ivy, her vibe in that, how she is sort of in the past been portrayed as this seductress type, but in this updated version, she's sort of like the girl who could hang type vibe. Like Bell plays her with this like blase, like nonchalant, like whatever. I love that. And that it and like she's the coolest chick in the room and everyone knows it, right? And Emma Stone could do that to a T. And I was just thinking of sort of her in like how that would fit into Robert Pattinson's the Batman franchise. And it just in my brain just felt like such a good fit. I I love that. I think her as Poison Ivy would be great. And like you said, I think we're living in a world where eventually the majority of stars end up in one one way or another some you know, sort of superhero thing. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix did Joker. Like, and you got to think like someone for her that's in terms of the art of it. That's definitely got to be more enticing than you know. If you wanted to continue to do your own thing, I would imagine an anti-hero is more appealing yeah. to them than an out-and-out good guy. One last thing that I want to point out here. Good observation. Right is here. that is that this is so today is February 18th. So this is scheduled to come out in on May 28th, just four months. Disney rolling out these trailers now, touting a May 28th date, tells me that they're committed to that date, right? Why would they play their card now if they don't have to? Cost a lot of money to put out these trailers. Right. So that means one of two things. They are prepared if they have to, to put Cruella on Disney Plus, or 
Black Widow, which comes at, which is supposed to come out May 7th, is going to get pushed back because they haven't rolled out marketing for that yet, despite the fact that it's supposed to come out before Cruella, and it is a much bigger deal. So what are your thoughts there? That is true. I think ultimately Black Widow is probably going to be delayed again, and I just think they should just do a hybrid release in available theaters and on Disney Plus and just take the monetary hit. And, you know, they, they, they need it because they can't have a backlog of Marvel storytelling to essentially disrupt the entire flow of the MCU. Florence's P- Pew's character can't pop up in Hawkeye, which she's cast in, unless we see her in Black Widow. So you're getting a tight window here. All right. All right, but let's stick with trailers. Today, we also got the Mortal Kombat trailer. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions that dragon marking i think it's an invitation to fight for something known as mortal combat which has been long in the making speaking of releases april 16th a hybrid release on hbo max and available theaters now, I'm someone, Eric, who loves the original. Uh, it's just a B-movie glory. I loved the video games and the arcade games as a kid. This one, to me... I have not seen that one. You haven't seen it yet? Oh, okay, well, like- I'll be interested to get your thoughts when you do. But, okay, long story short, I think with Mortal Kombat, you either stick with the winkingly, knowingly kind of self-referential, ha-ha uh, sensibilities that the original B-movie had, or you go full-on... Uh, grounded like Kevin Trachion. I know. But I don't think it's me. possible. Can you can you get away with camp in this a full blown camp in this day and age? I, I think I think you can absolutely with argue, a, especially with an IP. With I think you can camp. absolutely argue that like John Wick is the is the best example of serious camp. <laughs> camp. Uh, I mean, that literally, is not a word that I would use to describe John Wick. I'm I think flabbergasted can, right now. What do you? Listen, and I, I'm not, I don't think I'm not saying have, that as a bad thing because I, I like it. But you gotta. It is ultimately the huge suspension of disbelief and idea that silliness is okay. John Wick in two literally jumps off the top roof of a building and survives and is like completely fine. Yeah, ready but to does go that mean that like, Die Hard is camp because it's fucking preposterous? A little bit, yeah. I uh, see. I, I see camp as an intentional choice, w- w- which is to your point. I think it's a choice that you've got to make, right? So, you know, I think actually this looks cooler than I thought it was. I was expecting this to be fucking a disaster, right? Like I did not think that this would look good, but action looks sick, just like the video. And I wrote one of the Check hardest on Bible, everybody. One of the hardest things to do, particularly in the action genre, is to bring something new, right? To do something u- unique. That is what all artists hopefully set out to do. And while I don't want to apply the word art to Mortal Kombat, you know, think about the raid, right? The first time you saw the raid, it's like a ba- it's like a ballet. You, you're, you're like, I've never seen some shit like this before. So at the end of that fucking trailer, when Sub-Zero rips at Scorpion, I believe, and stabs him and blood squirts out, and he then freezes that blood to turn it into a dagger and stab him again, I was blown away. (laughs) Because that is the first time I've seen some shit like that. Yeah, I love that. If they're going to, if that's the, if I've got to 
white knuckle my way through some cringe worthy dialogue to get to scenes <laughs> like that then that's totally fine with me especially that's if i'm fair. fucking if i'm blitzed which i will likely will be like this is the perfect all right i'm gonna fucking this is a keith pack but that's like my whole point you gotta either go with the with the b-movie sensibility or you gotta go super grounded like in the short film that uh again i can't pronounce his name but like kevin tancherian released a decade ago which i loved this seems to be having a foot in both, which is a recipe for disappointment. But like you said, I think the action looks absolutely wonderful. And they're clearly embracing the inherent uh, wild, ridiculous, gory violence of the video games. And I think that's actually good. I think so often in Hollywood, video game adaptations try to stray away from the actual video game qualities and aspects to try and make it 100% cinematic. Whereas yeah. I, I think for certain properties like a Mortal Kombat that doesn't have much of a story, just just go full video game. That's better. Yeah, for sure. So like, yeah, I'll definitely be watching it first day. All right, let's bring it back to Leo though, because for a couple of years now, we've all been excited. He's reteaming with Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, which is an upcoming $200 million Western, which is a sentence I don't think Hollywood ever heard Apple thought that they would heard. Apple. Yeah, Apple is producing it. Paramount is going to distribute it what worldwide for like a traditional global theatrical release. You're super excited about this, uh, Eric. Do you want to tackle this one? Well, I've tracked this one for a while, right? First, I want to point out that despite the fact that they've both been Scorsese's muses, this is the first time that DiCaprio and De Niro are appearing in one of his films at the same time. Now they've. What was the one they appeared in together though in the nineties? They uh, were in This Boy's Life. That was it. Good and call. And Marvin's Room in the nineties, but those were, you know, that this is the right. first time that they're in a Scorsese film together. So kind of weird that it took this long. You know, in extremely retro. weird. Extremely right. weird. Yeah, it's very weird. You know where he would have been great in Shutter Island. The warden, who's like, if I were to yes. gouge your eyes out right now. <laughs> Why don't you try it and find out? Anyway, bring it back I do like in. that guy. Yeah, very good. He also gets burnt to a crisp in the Hills of Eyes. Poor guy. So I, right, 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 right. So what I think is exciting about this is Jesse Plemons is the star here, which for him, way to go, man. Seriously. Way to fucking go. Seriously. Well-deserved. I mean, also, he's only 32 years old. I thought he was significantly no. older than that. Did so, you see that list of creators that he's worked with that you, I tweeted? Yeah, dude. I mean, so, come on. Long story short, I'm not going to run through the list, but Jesse yeah. Plemons is only 32, and he's basically worked with a who's who of, like, whether it's comedy or drama, just cutting edge, like, top guys, including Scorsese and, and Spielberg multiple times. So, uh, you know, an absolutely massive win for him. He was also offered the, the lead role in Jordan Peele's film, but had to turn it down, which, you know. Imagine. Imagine. That's such a Sophie's choice. I'm hey, like, I, Jordan, need, I need to do both. Jordan, listen, man, I respect you. I love you. But Marty, and then I'm sure Peele is like, oh, dude, please. Go ahead. <laughs> he wanted to do both, but the scheduling couldn't work out. And like, that's heartbreaking because those are two amazing opportunities. So with him starring, that means he is the quote unquote hero, which means he is playing Tom White, the FBI agent who is, this is based on a book that's about yeah. sort of a serial killing of a oil rich tribe during the 1920s. Some have put the death toll at over a hundred. So it could be anywhere from 20 to 120. It's, it's really heinous. Dead. If anyone so, out there who knows about it, like it's disgusting. 
Plemons will be playing the FBI agent trying to, you know, find out what's going on. De Niro will be playing a local rancher who is largely suspected to be the guy who did it. It's never been proven, but this is, you know, the main theory. That motherfucker guilty. He's the, uh, he's the Lee Harvey Oswald of this story. You know, it's not been proven, but he did it type thing. But then Leo is sort of playing De Niro's nephew who is torn between love because he's married to an Osage tribe woman and his uncle's serial killing, I guess. Uh, Which like, hey, bro, not that much of a toss up. Yeah, right. So uh, to me, that's technically a villain, not quite a villain. But if you're like, it's interesting. If you're not turning your serial killing uncle into the cops immediately, you're definitely not a good guy. What's fascinating about this is that the uh, and I wrote about this months ago, the original screenplay written by Eric Roth, who was just a heavyweight who has done Forrest Gump, Ben Button, my shit. Munich Um, Insider, Star is Born. So yeah, Beast Mode. His original script obviously had Leo in the FBI role. Leo fought tooth and nail to take on the nephew role instead. THR put out a story explaining that DiCaprio's push to change the script to force his way out of the hero role was the primary factor in Paramount's choice to sell the film to Apple. Now here we are, four, six months later after this report, and that is the role that Leo found himself in now. It's really interesting that at this point in his career, Leo is absolutely going for the more compelling, interesting work than necessarily the lead role. You know, I'm first on the call sheet, you know, hero protagonist role. I love that. He probably sees, he 100% says, I could get a best supporting for that role right there. 100%. That one. Yeah, so... uh, Look, man, Marty has still got it. I'm bullish on the Irishman. I think that despite its length, its first viewing, I was enthralled, you know. Uh, my only complaint is that one scene where De Niro had to kick that guy and just look old as <laughs> yeah. fucking old He as looked decrepit. Doing so, but I think he still has his festival, the idea of seeing these two legends team up in a Martin Scorsese film for the first time, seeing Plemons really take the reins as a true A-list auteur fucking star. There's a lot here at play that I love. Uh, Let's shift it a little bit to HBO Max now. Uh, This week, the Illuminarity exclusively reported that a Constantine series is in development. Now, I I was never able to confirm it, but I heard the same thing a while ago. So Deadline ran a story about it. Warner Media has not yet confirmed anything. But, you know, it seems like a lot of cooks in this kitchen have been hearing the same thing, which usually means probably true. And it sounds pretty exciting. It's rumored to be looking for uh, a late 20s person of color in the lead role, a bit like Riz Ahmed. He's going to be a young Londoner as opposed to the kind of... Character in the comics is from Liverpool. The Keanu film, which oddly enough came out on this day in 2005, the screenwriter... (laughs) was having a hard time getting the film pitched and sold. So he changed it to LA and found that he got more traction on it immediately. That's that's funny. Yeah. I like that. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be diff- very different from that, but I think that's cool. It is probably going to be connected to J.J. Abrams's Justice League Dark, which is in development at Bad Robot at the moment as well. Uh, listen, this is a guy who I don't know a ton about, but every time he's popped up in terms of 
I like Keanu's film. I like Matt Ryan's take. I like the animated stuff that featured Matt Ryan in recent years. So awesome. Yeah, I'm in. Like a, a, a cool J.J. Abrams Awesome character. Such a thing. cool Great. character, yeah. And also, I hope Riz Ahmed gets the role because I you know, fucking and, love Riz Ahmed. And the whole what is key here is I'm curious what DCEU universe this is going to take place in, right? Because these are the sort of characters that could theoretically end make sense in terms of in terms of tone style that could overlap with the batman so i'm um, because in the justice league dark dc animated film it is batman who sort of rounds up the team so with this all going down on hbo max i don't know if That'll be the route that they go down, but they could. This character is dope. And if done well, is genuinely brings something different to the comic book landscape. Like like we've been saying with Marvel and how they're carving out their own niches within the MCU, mystical, magical, this kind of plays into that. And according to the Illuminarities report, they want to lean less on the religion and more on the horror element. So they're just doing different things within the umbrella that is superheroes. And that's a good thing. You know who I wrote that I would love to see do it. Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> you, know, you know I'm a, a Kaluuya fan. Yeah. That, that would be great. Yeah, they want, you know, non-white dude, late 20s. I think he's like 31, so he's a yeah. little old, but. He's got that youthful look, though. Yeah. All right, I'm in. All right, let's go to our quick hitters. Donald Glover signed an eight-figure deal with Amazon Prime Video leaving uh, his FX deal, though Atlanta is unaffected. Don't you worry, fans. His first project up, Mr. and Mrs. Smith series, based on the uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolene movie. He's doing that with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is amazing and also has a deal with Amazon. Uh, they're going to be doing their... He's going to be given his own content channel, which is basically a hub where he can kind of personalize and tailor what fans see. And I think this is just a really smart way to differentiate Amazon Prime Video from other streamers. I can get more into that, you know, in like a whole different pod, not here. And then just long story short, I wanted to throw out there that they have an amazing collection of talent signed to first look deals in one form or another. And that includes Nicole Kidman, Jordan Peele, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Jonathan Nolan, Lisa Joy, who do Westworld, uh, Orlando Bloom, Riz Ahmed, Lizzo. Like they have a, just a ton of names. So even though Amazon isn't necessarily always talked about in the same vein as Netflix and Disney Plus, I'd keep my eye on them in the near future. All right, Joaquin Phoenix is set to star in Ari Aster's Disappointment Boulevard. Eric, are you an Ari Aster fan? Uh, you know, Heredity po- and Midsummer. Yeah, I haven't seen Midsummer. There's parts of Hereditary that scare the fuck out of me. That uh, you know, the scene with with the girl i don't want to give it away but the scene with the girl on her dome piece is one of the wildest things i've seen on film in my entire life that said in terms of my brand of horror i find it to be a little slow um but i could appreciate the sheer fucking gall of this guy yeah <laughs> yeah i would agree and i'll get some hate on twitter for this but I, I just maybe i'm not smart enough but i haven't gotten any of his films yet like not even remotely in the same vicinity and I, you know, everyone loves him. I'm, I'm not on that vibe. <laughs> All right, Spider-Man composer Danny Elfman is going to score Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Nice little I reunion mean, there. I mean, come on, this is a this is they're fucking waving it in our face at this point. You know <laughs> that well that said. iconic score, which I'll put in right here, is 100% going to pop up. There's not a doubt in my mind. I, I would hope so because that one slaps. Yeah. 
All right, Tim Burton is going to be working on a a Wednesday series about Wednesday Adams for Netflix. Listen, has has Tim Burton just lost all of his street cred with a handful of subpar projects in the recent years to you? Like, are you excited by a Tim no. Burton? No, what's fascinating is that, right? Like, you assume that this is going to be, a, it's a coming of age drama, which is inherently for kids. Who under 20 has any clue who this guy is, you know? That's Even though, part. like, I love big fish and shit. Yeah. Like, this guy has done Batman, of course. This guy has done stuff that I enjoy, but it's been a long time. It's been a while since since he knocked one out of the park. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Daniel Kalu and Kiki Palmer are going to star in Jordan Peele's next film. Just a reminder out there, Jordan Peele's two directorial films have grossed over $500 million on a combined $30 million budget, $25 million budget. So wow. uh, this guy's become a universe unto himself in the yep. same vein as like a Nolan, a Spielberg, a Tarantino. So keep killing, George Yeah, he, he is the brand. And also Kalua with Judas and the Black Messiah and uh, a next Jordan Peele film. And what we're starting right now is a fan cast for Constantine, like, nice, man. He's on the come up again, which I love. And lastly, Static Shock and The Batman are now on HBO Max. Highly recommend both. Actually, I don't love The Batman, but it's still it's still solid. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, now we're going to jump into our WandaVision recap, analysis, breakdown, and our favorite bit, let's be real, the theorization of it all, because let's let's be honest, that's the most fun for, I think, everybody. Which, uh, shout out to us, we fucking nailed these past few weeks. <laughs> well, so we, that's had a, a we had a couple good ones. For, uh, that is a preview for what's to come, because I'm feeling good about it today. <laughs> Eric, feeling it on this Friday. Uh-oh. Oh, there's a few that we fucking nailed right on the head. That's true. Uh, we will pat ourselves on the back for some of the good ones. All right, but let's start with our beat-by-beat recap. Uh, this episode of WandaVision, Breaking the Fourth Wall, which, cheeky title, I already like it. It's set in the late tw- 2000s time period. Wanda decides to have a day to herself after waking up hungover, but it is not from a hard night of boozy partying. Instead, that hangover is from the expansion of the hex last week that really clearly took a toll on her. Personally, the former sounds a lot more fun to me. I'd rather have a boozy night of partying take me out of commission than, you know, trapping thousands of citizens in an alternate reality against their will. But that's just me. Uh, Her son Billy complains about the voices in his head. Classic sorcerer hitting pre-puberty. It happens to the best of us. And then the boys' video game system starts glitching. It's cycling through different eras, including Wii, N64, Atari, and then hilariously just Uno cards. What was that, Eric? GameCube. Was it GameCube? Yeah, there was one of them. There we go. That was one of them, too. Uh, I liked how even the milk can't decide what it wants to be. That's glitching in between different era of milk cartons. Uh, Wanda tells her 11-year-old children that she's basically beginning to think that everything is meaningless. Just really, really strong parenting there overall. That's what I want to say. And Eric, one thing I did notice about this scene, and we'll talk a little bit more in our uh, awards and categories, is that every single beverage in the fridge 
is a real product in the real world, except of course, the one she chooses, the Westview almond milk. And we'll get to that a little bit later in more detail, but I thought that was interesting and might have more hidden meaning than we initially see. Yeah, I think some of my bigger takeaways from this first scene was, did you realize how close the theme song was to that of The Office? Yeah, that was one of my first things. It was one of those, is this The Office or am I just thinking it's The Office? It, it so I'm so glad similar. that you said that. Okay, good. Uh, and I and was. Next, <laughs> and next is that this first scene sort of uh, brought to the forefront what we have said this show's strength is the whole time. While it's obviously played for humor, Wanda's sort of brazen and willing descent into madness is actually unsettling as fuck. It is a full-blown sitcom mental breakdown, but that yeah. doesn't change the fact that it is like, holy shit, she's had enough. What I think is the disturbing choice that is something we see throughout this entire episode is that she's not, at this point, it goes beyond pure grief, right? She is actively and willingly making choices that she knows better than. Yeah. So I think that once again, we have said the whole time, and it was more the case when we weren't aware of what's going on, and it was sort of the under-the-surface tension. But the way that this series has been able to Trojan horse unease yeah. through sitcom trappings is an unbelievable feat. It's a great teeter-tottering of different tones and vibes. You know, on the surface, we get, oh, it's The Office and Modern Family, ha ha And exactly like you said, underneath that, Guys, is Wanda okay? Yeah. And speaking of those choices, quickly the milk carton actually becomes a, a carton like in the old school with a missing child's picture on it. And it just makes me wonder where'd she get all those kids last week? That yeah, is they did. And I did try to pause to see if I could look and see if we could see who that face was, but no, yeah. It was just kind of a, a random kid, but still not so uh, not so settling, right? But now. how do so how do we and I don't want to dive too deep at this point, but all of the kids popped up last week, and now they're all gone again. Seemingly, yes. Right? So, uh, I'm it's creepy. You. It's creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Agnes then shows off yet another example of her suspiciously impeccable timing throughout this entire show by swinging by, seeing that Wanda is in a state, quote unquote. She agrees to babysit Tommy and Billy and take them to her house. And then during one of her straight-to-camera confessionals, like an office, like a modern family, Wanda admits, quote, I don't understand what's happening, why it's all falling apart, and why I can't fix it, end quote. The off-screen interviewer then responds, do you think maybe it's what you deserve? And both us and her have the same reaction in that that's not supposed to happen. They're not supposed to say anything. There is not supposed to be a kind of they in general. This is when they start to really lay it on thick, right? Like uh, Agnes, when she comes through, she's like, come on with me, kids. I don't bite and looks directly in the camera. And then the cutscene is her. And she's Catherine Hahn, man. What a yeah. legend. She's just like, oh, no, I did bite a kid once, <laughs> which, you know, killed me. Um, <laughs> but at this point, you're starting to see that, all right, they're finally going to let us in on what her deal is because Every time that she had slipped up in the past, you could sort of explain it away as just sort of being a part of the oddity of Wanda's world. But at this point, she is so omnipotently evil that <laughs> the cat is out of the bag. And I just want to say quickly, Chris Parker at 3C Film Review on Twitter he had just a hilarious reaction. His tweet is, how WandaVision connects to Spider-Man 3. 
and it's Agnes saying, I bit a kid once. And then the next picture is her face on top of the spider that bites Tom Holland's Peter Parker. I like that. And you know what? Fuck it. I would love that. It would be ridiculous. I know that's not what's going to happen. It would be ridiculous, but fuck yeah, I would take that. And then also up note from the scene, i.e. them laying it on thick, is that Billy goes, he's like, I like it here. It's quiet. And he's like, you're quiet on the inside. So he can't even read her thoughts, whether that be because she has none whether that be because she's intentionally keeping him out at this point, they're sort of ringing the bell. Oh yeah. And my, in my uh, piece for observer, my recap and theorization for observer this morning, I, I wrote specifically about the, you know, you're quiet red flag number 367 for Agnes, you know, yeah, right? yeah. clearly I mean, from the jump, this is not like a, a, Oh, we gotcha. Like everyone had the same theory that there was something was going on and you don't cast someone as great as Catherine Hahn to just kind of be like, okay, neighbor. So I- I'm just glad that it could meet everyone's expectations and yet still have us all freaking out in like an enjoyable uh, speculatory way. And that's why this casting, you know, well, first of all, the MCU's casting on the whole, but this specific Catherine Hahn casting is so perfect because she's sort of that embodiment of the quality that we've been talking about the whole time. She has the acting chops to flip from like 1950s neighbor like that's sort of always she's kind of pure chaotic energy which that's I sort of always been her vibe right but she's able to flip flip instantaneously from being like an aw shucks to yeah. an extremely menacing presence and she's just doing a great job Catherine Hahn, i love you all right while this is going on vision wakes up and he finds the sword agents inside the boundary that got basically absorbed by Wanda's hex expansion uh, the other week. They're now members of a circus, which, I mean, just, I think that's subtly also what Wanda thinks of these law enforcement guys. Like, oh, these are fucking clowns. I'm going to make them fucking clowns. For sure. Yeah. Which I I just love. Uh, He finds Darcy, who is the escape artist, and he releases her from the spell. Darcy then has time to tell Vision about his death and the events that led to the current situation. And I, I, again, I, I wrote today in Observer, like, hearing that your wife killed you and then a big purple asshole brought you back to life only to kill you again in front of your wife, that's got to be a lot to take on in the midst of that's the West the Canyon. office. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's like, I need my shrink. I need a personal day. Hearing him learn of his past, but then also at the same time hearing darcy say how real she thinks their love is is sort of a summation of what they've done with vision this whole time right it's simultaneously inspiring and tragic yeah and you're right there with him as he's going through all these things because as we've said they've done you almost forget how 2d vision once was because of how holy of a 3d character he is now perhaps that's because of paul bettany's unbelievable range which he further displays here in the comedy scenes that i think were the most effective vehicle for the out and out sitcom jokes Mm -hmm. perhaps it's because it is the comedy of our time but i thought Bettany specifically was so good at that sort of cadence of whether it be talking to characters or the direct to camera. So even though he's not given much to do in terms of plot this week, you're still advancing forward in his emotional journey. And that's the beauty of the Disney Plus Marvel opportunities. It provides the MCU 
with deeper, slower character burns that develop and enhance and entrench your emotional connection to secondary characters that never got the center stage behind the Iron Mans and the Captain Americas. That is what the Disney Plus Marvel expansion can provide, you know, a legitimate space for characters that were never going to be the primary focus to really flex. And to your point uh, about Paul Bettany and Vision, I I think, A, his conversation with Darcy kind of ticks off the idea in his own head that the only conceivable end with these people going back to their normal lives with everyone being saved is most likely his inevitable death again, which is a huge bummer. And yeah, again, to your point, Vision is doing his best Jim Halpert impression, which means Paul Bettany is doing it. And I specifically loved, and we'll get back to this in our awards and categories, I specifically loved during his confessional outside the truck where he's nervously scratching his neck and his ears while talking. And then you remember, he's a fucking synthesoid who doesn't itch whatsoever. So it is actual, not only a physical manifestation of Vision's anxiety, but also him playing the kind of Jim Halpert straight to camera role. So it's like layers on layers of a minor micro performance. And it's just great. It's just just great. Just just to build off your point, that scene where he sort of storms off, he's like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? You know, it, it worked, it worked. I would probably imagine that I found this so effective because it is the sitcom that I grew up with. Like, yeah. Jumping back to the first scene when Wanda is sort of laying in bed explaining what she did last night and they cut away to the sword guys running away from the red force field and they've got that like comedy track to it. That may have been the best pure joke in the series. It was a cutaway gag, which like a family guy in a South Park is made famous. But it didn't feel forced, right? No, no, it really worked. So yeah. I laughed out loud. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All right, outside of Westview, Monica and Jimmy meet with loyal sword personnel. Now, at first, I thought that Major Goodner was the aerospace engineer Monica mentioned the last few, a few weeks ago, and that we all had just overthought, you know, a minor plot point, which happens. But then I went back and I saw Monica herself, the actress, Tayona Paris, has hyped up the reveal of the aerospace identity. So perhaps this was just someone else who was just on the team and it's not the person that she actually referenced. Well, we'll clearly find out one way or the other. Of note of this chick, when Monica thanks her and she's like for being like loyal to her mom or something, Major Gooden says she's not the only one we're loyal to. I'm assuming that also she's talking about the aerospace engineer, right? That would seem to also suggest that like, this is not the reveal that we've all been waiting for. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So basically, she's got her uh, vehicle, the rover, that should be able to cross into the barrier. And I just love how it is literally immediately unsuccessful. (laughs) So in that moment where Monica's like, well, shit, that didn't work. She just says, fuck it. I'm going to enter myself. And in what is probably the coolest sequence of this episode, she passes through the static wall. She's fighting through it. Like like it doesn't want her to enter. And in that hexagonal barrier it's warping her very being across different planes and inviting the disembodied voices of her past and she finally with strength and determination breaks through and emerges with seemingly heightened vision her eyes are glowing and to me we have now just been officially introduced either photon or spectrum one of her many superhero monikers i'm sure they'll decide which one in the the near future but that was amazing and to me it had 
echoes of Stargate 2001, a space odyssey contact in terms of the visual way they had her bust through the barrier and then just emerge as her hero moment. They've done well to like her transformation into a superhero has been earned, right? Like I, a few weeks ago or last week, perhaps I had her moral compass as the episode's MVP, right? And that is further fleshed out here. I want to rewind a bit when her and Jimmy Woo were going to pick up that truck and they discuss how Darcy cracked Hayward's files and they talk about cataract and how it has now been confirmed that sword wasn't trying to decommission vision. They were trying to resurrect vision, but quote, nothing worked until Wanda stole his body. So as I said at the top, I think you and I nailed this one. I didn't see this one a lot out there. A, we knew something was weird about the footage of Wanda stealing his corpse. We knew something there just didn't click because it said it just seemed, even though she was losing her mind, it just seemed too forward of an act of uh, aggression for somebody who doesn't even know where she is. We knew that Cataract was tied into trying to bring back the dead. Now, want their own sentient weapon. Does that also, which is literally what she said, could that also lead into the Mind Stone. I doubt it, but the Mind Stone is technically a part of Vision. Vision is still using powers that are consistent with the Mind Stones. Which so. I still don't get since we know the stones are destroyed. So like, did she recreate the stones from her own connection? Because since her powers are sourced well, from the Infinity Stones- there are clips stones? from trailers that, see, that, sh- that sort of show what looks to be an Infinity Stone exploding in her face. And we haven't gotten to those yet, so. I'm wondering if just like, you know, her, her ability to create matter within the hex, which we'll talk about later, especially with the milk and stuff, if she created her version of the Mind Stone to power Vision. And like, it may not be the Infinity Stone, but it is a kind of dark copy. And then one last thing that I want to point out that we were right about. Uh, so first, we knew that the Vision footage was sketchy. We knew that Cataract was trying to raise the dead. And I think this confirms that Hayward is just a prick. He's just yeah. a fucking suit who's just a fucking asshole. And that's yeah, sort of the bottom line of it. There, I don't think there's more to him than that. Like, what, again, it's fun to overthink things. We do yeah. that. But yeah, I think you're right. He's just he's just like, yeah, we need weapons. That, yeah. one, that one early scene of him being nice was solely put in to lead us down this path, right? The, who yeah. he is now is who this character truly is to his core. Now, as for the details of this scene where Monica passes through this force field so she hears the voice of her mom maria she hears the voice of nick fury who yeah. says only if you could learn to glow like aunt carol and then we hear from carol danvers herself which is the catalyst you sort of see the monica's face change and she looks pissed off and that's what gives her the drive to push herself through so awesome scene but i think low-key this is confirmation that whatever went down with Carol and her is beef. Definitely. I mean, I think she's probably pissed that her superpowered aunt, you know, abandoned Earth. And it's not that she abandoned it. She was helping the rest of the galaxy. But she, you know, she hasn't been there for 20 plus years, it seems like. Yeah. Now, this theory comes from Julia Alexander at The Verge. She says that uh, connected to Monica Rambeau, maybe the aerospace engineer is Adam Brashear. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But he's a superhero in his own right and an engineer who does in the comics end up in a couple with Monica Rambeau. And this would also seemingly 
do what it seems is happening in WandaVision in that it's connecting Monica Rambeau to Captain Marvel 2 and what's to come. Now, I think that's a, a really interesting good theory, but I will say a little bit later why I don't think it's going to be a new character we've never met before. All right, moving on in the episode, Monica then confronts Wanda after making her way into Westview. Agnes tells Monica to leave and takes Wanda to her house. Wanda looks for the boys. Wanda looks for the boys in the basement and discovers a strange dungeon-esque lair. I said in, in my review, it looks like the bachelor pad for Merlin's black sheep brother because it's just this fucking creepy-ass, wizardy-type place. Uh, Agnes then does her big, full villain reveal. She is, as we all predicted, Agatha Harkness. She also reveals that she is a magic user. She reveals that it was Agatha. In, in one of the coolest musical sequences of the show, she reveals that it was her who sent Amazing. Pietro. Yeah, great. Sent Pietro to Wanda, uh, who's been manipulating town residents. She also killed Sparky. Like, which, you know, you kill the family dog, like, you're on the hit list, lady. And then in the mid credit scene, which if you haven't watched, go back and just check it out quickly, Monica is investigating, and she finds Agatha's house. She discovers this creepy basement, only to be seemingly caught off guard by Pietro, who says, Snooper's gonna snoop, huh? And that was just a cool little tease that opens up its own can of worms. Uh, I just had a bunch of thoughts from here on, just the start of which is that I think it's really cool that episode seven managed to introduce both a new hero and a new villain at the same time. I thought that was just an effective little twist. Yeah. And again, like, you know, we had talked about before this show came out, are they going to be able to live up to the hype that they promised that these shows are going to be just as important as the films in the MCU going forward? And I think introducing one, perhaps two new villains and a full-blown hero definitely qualifies 100% and we haven't even gotten to whatever the explosive reveal is yeah which now, I think at this point is now clearly going to play out a majority post WandaVision yes which is very interesting now just right. quickly yeah because well, I've got a whole thing here so what do you have for us B I just want to quickly give a little bit of more background on on Agatha in case anyone's forgotten just super quick she's been around the Marvel comics since the 1970s um, I thought it was really cool that in this scene, her reveal, we see her play with Wanda's mind with her purple magic, which is a nice reversal after Wanda was the one who fucked with the Avengers' mind in Age of uh, Ultron. I thought that was cool. Uh, Let Agatha me Harkness jump in there. I think that Agatha's force field magic being purple as opposed to Vision's gold or Wanda's red is sort of a low-key big hint here. I, I think that's definitely true. I think I've seen a lot of people focusing on the colors, which also hints to the source. So I think that's true. Um, right, exactly. Agatha Harkness, first introduced in the Fantastic Four comic books. She was the governess of Franklin Richards, who's the young son of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. However, she soon revealed to be a powerful witch. She was a member of the colony of spellcasters who lived in a town called New Salem, Colorado. And then in other versions, she actually survived the original Salem witch trials. Uh, and though she has been a Fantastic Four character, she's probably best known for her association with Scarlet Witch. In Avengers West Coast series, she returns to Wanda after the birth of her children and the death of Vision. In that comic book series, Agatha notably wipes Wanda's memory after her, her children are revealed to not be real, but constructs, uh, but, but constructs created by a devil-like force known as Mephisto. We've obviously covered Mephisto a ton in this pod. I don't know if uh, if he is showing up or not, but another villain who may play a role in Doctor Strange 2 might. So that's just a little bit of background on Agatha in case anyone forgot or and or was like, 
Ooh. Which is very reasonable. All right. So do you have anything else that you want to tack on before I dive into what I've got and you sort of bounce back and forth here? Yeah, one more thing, and this ties back to um, the kind of theories on who the aerospace engineer is and, and who the big cameo might be. And I, I would say in reviewing Marvel's history, it's not really their style to introduce a major new character completely cold turkey. You know, Thanos was first seen in the Avengers post credit scene before appearing in Guardians of the Galaxy. Vision was briefly seen in the trailer for Age of Ultron before actually being introduced. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 tipped us off that it's Adam in that egg, even though we haven't actually met him yet. And there's a handful of other examples throughout the MCU's history. Even within WandaVision itself, like, like we were just talking about, we're introduced to a new hero and villain in Monica and Agnes that we have been watching the whole time. So it's not just, hey, I've never seen that person before. So the upcoming major surprise cameos that have been teased by everyone, I believe, have to be people we're familiar with, either through the MCU or the X-Men universe, or even maybe the Sony universe, potentially, based on Kevin Feige's track record of not just dropping a complete unknown bombshell, which would then be like, well, that was kind of not that exciting because we don't know who that is. We had to go Google them. So that's what I think. I think it's going to be Doctor Strange and one other person that we're familiar with already. A villain, though. Pot- potentially, I don't. I don't know who the who the the next one is. It Mephisto? Is it Nightmare in Doctor? Which who's widely believed to be the villain in Do- Doctor Strange too? Maybe. I just have a feeling, whatever the big cameos are, at least for the most part, will be known qualities. So that leads me to my whole spiel. Hit me. Obviously, this dungeon scene is sort of the meat of this whole episode. This is where, you know, without this part, this is probably the worst one yet. This is where the clues lie. Before we dive into the who, let's talk about the what and the what that we see. Everything in the room is extremely demonic or occultish, or as you so big brainly put it in a text to me, Lucifer iconography. Like I've said before, you could always count on Brandon to bring the bourgeois to this show. Well, we need a little bit of class. There's a uh, evil-looking goat head on the wall and a, a glowing red glass case with, with skulls in it. There's ancient symbols that line sort of the not quite the roof because it's sort of like a dome shape, but ancient, almost Sumerian-esque symbols, which I tried to look up, couldn't find a match. Please, Google, don't put me on some sort of list. Um when Agnes walks in, you could see a like a glowing purple vulture in the background. So there's a lot of very devilish stuff going on. Obviously, the biggest thing that we see here is this glowing book. Now, based on what my research tells me, this is most likely what's known as the Darkhold, which is also known as the Book of Sins or the Book of Spells. And it's more or less an ancient book of spells that contains unspeakable power. The book itself is made of dark matter from the dark dimension, which is somewhere we've been in the MCU before, because the dark dimension is a vast dimension in the multiverse ruled by none other than Dormammu. And if I remember correctly, Dormammu was a generally purple sort of being. Yeah, and he, I think he was made out of dark energy, if, I, if right. I remember correctly as well. So now there's another evil dimension in the Marvel world, and that's the dream dimension, 
which is more or less what Wanda has been living through this whole time, is just like a bad dream. That dimension is ruled by Nightmare. So long story short, we are we are at the goal line of the Doctor Strange bridge, right? And I mean, we are, we to are borrow this episode's terminology. We're literally at the nexus, right? Exactly. We are so close. So, and as I said, I think the fact that it's Agatha's magic seems to be sourced from a from a from a purple energy field. Could this be either a WandaVision looping back in Dormammu, who, as far as we know, is it, promised to not invade Doctor Strange's Earth, you know? But he could, who, he, who's to say Wanda's Earth, you know, Westview is not Doctor Strange's who, Earth. Who, loophole, who's to blah, say blah, blah, that blah. he's trying to tear a hole in the world to be like, oh, loophole, Doc, you should have yeah. read the fine print. Could the MCU, bargain. you know, the, the MCU doesn't always take the comic books literal translation could they be folding the dark dimension and the dream dimension into one and having this be the introduction of nightmare who's also if you go to his wiki page is portrayed as a purple faced dude and is widely believed to be the doctor strange 2 villain beyond that one of the powers that he's most known for is the ability to draw psychic energies of the subconscious minds of dreaming beings Ooh. that sounds a lot like wanda to me could and also the residents who are trapped yes ex right exactly so i think that i'm i'm surprised that it's taken nightmare's name this long to sort of come up on both this podcast and the general conversation around this show. We've but been real Mephisto-focused. But, right, but given the long-running rumors that he was going to be the villain in Doctor Strange 2, that almost makes more sense to me at this point. First of all, fantastic deep dive right there, Eric. You're just bringing your A-game with your magnifying glass. I love it. Second of all, you also made a great point within that point, is that Marvel takes the outlines of the comics and then does entirely their own thing. So while we were always like, Oh, Mephisto, he's so closely tied to Wanda and Agatha. Well, they're like, fuck it, let's just make it Nightmare for our own purposes. That would make a ton of sense, too. And just jumping on all this, I did try. I made the valiant attempt to go back and look at the library scene in Doctor Strange to see if any of those books matched up to like what the book in Agatha's basement looked like. They all just look like the same fucking book to me. So I, I made the attempt to try, but I, I couldn't find anything definitive whatsoever. And on that book, there is some very clear symbolism on the front that I just could not make out because I don't even know what yeah. to search for it to look it up. So There is also a storyline in the comics in which Mephisto s tries to steal some of Doctor Strange's books in order to lure him to hell. Who's to say, again, that Nightmare isn't just co-opting that storyline to be like, hey, come to Westview so I can trap you. Yeah, I think if you had to... It the problem is that there is still a lot of specifically satanic symbolism here. So That is true. I mean, everyone knows the goat head and everything. It's, it's you know, the Lucifer when he's turned into a beast after the fallen angel. But there's just something about the Doctor Strangeness of it all, right? Mm -hmm. And specifically the fact that the book ties into the dark dimension where, it, where we've already been. So there are previously established MCU ties. It's not like it's just being pulled out of a hat. Combined with the, as I said, it sounds stupid and low-key, but the fact that the energy is literally purple 
And I'm leaning more towards Nightmare at this point than I am Mephisto. Yeah, I've definitely come onto that range of thinking as well at this point. And you know what? Something I love that I mentioned in a tweet a few weeks ago, but holds even truer right now. I love that WandaVision has made Marvel mysterious again. We've always theorized and speculated, but because it was always on a big blockbuster film basis, it was more or less two years of the same theories being recycled over and over. Whereas this, we have a weekly development and evolution and reinvention of every theory and speculatory kind of piece of thinking uh, with each given episode and with each amount of new information we're given. And the movies, again, there's some amazing stuff, but it was a little bit more straightforward. And this is a lot more drawn out, zoomed out, hypotheticals. And it's just made it so much more fun. Not necessarily in comparison with the movies. I just feel reinvigorated in my Marvel fandom with these weekly discussions and deep dives that are different than what we do with the films. And that's fun. Have said, and I'm going to continue to say, I think as a as a product, this will probably be better viewed, binged. But as an experience, the week by week is great. It, you know, it's a like really good said, delineation, Eric. It, it's really it, smart. It, it gives the fans the opportunity to inhabit the world that they enjoy so much, right? As you just said, when it's a film, you're in and you're out. We've been thinking about this show for close to two months now. It's awesome. Yeah. I also just want to quickly point out before we move into our awards and categories, uh, you know, Tommy and Billy, they grow up into Speed and Wiccan. And regardless of what happens to them by the end of WandaVision, I think it's pretty clear that Everything is building towards a young Avengers. You know, Kate Bishop and Hawkeye, Cassie Lang and Ant-Man. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is rumored to be introducing Patriot. Miss Marvel's coming later this year. Speed and Wiccan might return or might survive, whatever. It just seems like we're all building towards young Avengers as the kind of Disney Plus equivalent to Netflix's The Defenders. And I think that's cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. All right, let's move into our awards and categories, starting off with Infinity Gauntlet Award. I'll do it myself. I mean, this has to go to me, Agatha, the actual character, who has played our central heroes like a motherfucking fiddle this entire time and engineered a massively complex situation to her direct benefit. If, if she is not a mastermind at this point, if she has not earned that, that moniker from the fans, like, I, I don't know what else you're looking for in your, you know, mustache twirling villains. I'm going with us. Because, oh! yes, because we predicted the hell out of a lot of shit where, you know, people have been guessing about what's going on in this show left, right, and center. And I think specifically our beat on what was going on with the whole cataract, Vision's body being stolen arc we nailed so us congrats to us i like that man just like wanda took a self-care day you're, you're giving us some pats on the backs you know yeah. you got to be in touch with your inner star player yeah. i like that's that that's right that's right <laughs> all right the thor the dark world award for the worst performance you needn't have come so far as guardian death would have come to you soon enough not by your hand i mean to me this goes to the rover which was connected to weeks-long speculation that may have turned out to be nothing may not and then it failed in its only objective. And it, all I could help thinking was that, thank God our rover Mars in real life is performing way better than this piece of shit. Shout out to Mars. Future Shout home. Out to Mars. 
future shout home out. of uh, the next MCU movie in like 2032, maybe. And I was also going to say shout out to Lightyear as well. The yeah. soon to be best space film of all time. Um, Thank you, Pixar. <laughs> All right, so I'm going with, and despite the fact that this guy is the man and has been crushing it and has probably been my favorite part of this show so far, Vision, dicking around all day. What are you doing, man? Like, let's pick up the pace a little bit. You're really going to let a traffic stop get in your way? Like, you're going to super with bro. Darcy, what are, you, what are you doing? You're the one who explicitly said, these people need help. And now you're taking an entire day to drive back home. It's, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. I did like, though, that his first question to Darcy were, are my children safe? You know, yeah, yeah. like you you said, this has given such a platform for the Vision character and for P- Paul Bettany's acting. And that was just a microcosm of the growth and emotional attachment we formed to him in this format. Yeah. All right, the Jarvis Award for Best Performance by Anyone Except the Lead Actor. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Jarvis, a virtual artificial intelligence, and I'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best I can. Catherine Hahn. I got the same thing, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, in this episode, this is her episode, you know? Yeah, and but just for the whole season, really. Yeah. But yeah, she's great. All right, the Tony Stark Exposition Award, a.k.a. the Star-Lord Who Award. Star-Lord. Who? Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. Where we need someone smarter than us to explain shit to us. Uh, I mean, listen, we did a ton of good theorization, Eric. You brought a ton of great research that I, I think is actually going to bear out to some truth. But, like, I, I need the, the deepest, most committed Marvel fan to just really sum up everything in that basement dungeon and be like, all right, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, there was a lot that you like that you that that they want you to try to try to see but it is just obscured enough that you can't um exactly i am still going with the whole aerospace thing you know as i said before when they go to pick up that rover and major gooden is like you aren't the only one we're loyal to you know at at this point they're building it up to be a season end reveal type thing you know i don't think whoever this is is going to factor into the actual plot of WandaVision per se, but perhaps be more of a tie into Captain Marvel 2 or something along those lines. I agree. And, and going with the fake commercial this this week, a nex- the Nexus antidepressants, Nexus is not only um, the kind of linchpin of a universe, but within Marvel, it's also uh, beings that are basically the foundational beings of their realities. Also, the Nexus internet hub is where uh Jarvis hid in Age of Ultron, although I don't necessarily know if they're referencing that. So assuming that it's the kind of reality linchpin angle, Wanda, both in the comics and clearly here, is a Nexus being, which means it is absolutely going to carry over in significant fashion. I think Doctor Strange 2, Captain Marvel 2, Spider-Man 3. So you're absolutely right. We're looking at some post-game additions, which is going to be really cool. Make a guess here in case it's dropped next week. Do you think that it ends up being Reed Richards? No, I don't think it's going to be Reed Richards personally. Despite the fact that I've been impressed with how committed they've been to make these shows matter, and despite the fact that I do think that they might introduce a new villain, introducing the head of Marvel's first family in WandaVision just doesn't strike me as a Kevin Feige move. Especially when they've been so connected to Ant-Man and Quantum Mania, the Quantum Realm. Again, as we've said, Marvel does a great job of, of twisting widely accepted theories to still be surprising. 
So I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's not exactly that, but something like that on the big screen. Yeah, that, that's what I assume. I just don't think it's going to be Reed Richards. Yeah. All right, the Time Stone, that real quick award. Uh, like I said before, every beverage in Wanda's fridge is from a real company, except the Westview almond milk, which she chooses. I understand that within the show, they have said that what she creates, the matter she creates is real. But it's still interesting to me to think about, A, what exactly is she drinking? It's, it's synthetic milk. Like, it's not real milk, even though they said she's able to create um, matter. B, only the things that she creates are glitching within this uh, Westview you know, universe, notably her house, the video games, the milk container. So that's interesting. And C, is consuming the alternate reality matter affecting her on a molecular level at all, which brought me back to the episode, the first episode in which uh, Agatha pops over with all the food and everything they need for that dinner. Is there any way, or am I getting too big brain galaxy conspiracy theory with it, that she's also been dosing her on whatever it is that's going on in the Westview to keep her numb and stupid? Well, she's clearly trying to unhinge her. That is, That seems to be her goal, whether it be to keep her there or to unleash her true powers. Agatha is trying to, you know, we've talked about Wanda gaslighting Vision. Turns out Agatha's been doing that to her this yeah. whole time. Who watches The Watchmen, man? Right. Uh, so for my time stone now, real quick, speaking of evil, I am going Wanda going full villain on Monica. Legit scary. She gets right back in her groove of being the bad guy. You know, she seems like a natural at it. And I get that this is what they're trying to do, but she is legitimately becoming one of the MCU. And a lot of that work is done here and how clearly unhinged she is. She is becoming one of the MCU's scariest characters. Yeah. I mean, like they said, she could have taken out Thanos had he not gone full Blitzkrieg. Yeah. Uh, put this in Odin's Vault Award. Odin's Treasures. Fake. Most of the stuff in here is fake. Like I said before, Paul Bettany's act acting, you know, as Vision, again, I'm, I'm repeating it, but doing a Jim Halpert confessional scratching his neck and ear out of uh, nervousness, even though he's a synthesoid who doesn't experience itching. So it's a subconscious manifestation of anxiety in addition to a straight-to-camera parody performance, and it's all just, just brilliant as a whole. You know, it's layers on layers of mini performances. I'm going with the it was Agatha the whole time uh, clip. That shit was hilarious. What an unbelievable way to not only reveal your villain, but to end the show. And to answer a ton of our questions, like, yeah. where the fuck did Pietro come from? So funny. If I was a UFC fighter, I would want It Was Agatha the, the Whole Time to be my walkout song. <laughs> I would definitely get hyped to that. <laughs> All right, Cap lifts the Hammer Award for Best Hero Moment. Yeah, it's Monica Rambo, A, breaking through the barrier and emerging with this badass glow. And she's full superhero at this point. And I would say B, as an add-on to that, Wanda trying to throw her around only for Monica to start showing off a bit of her own power. And you can see on Wanda's face, there's this brief moment of realization that she may not know 100% who exactly she's fucking with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great like, call. For a split uh moment, she's like... Oh, did I fuck this up? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I have the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's just great. All right, Eric, what is the worst thing you can say about this episode? So I said this once, I think, and I think this week specifically 
this confirms that this the experience week to week is fantastic. I think as a product in a vacuum, this confirms that it will be better when binged. If you if you could choose either one, like if if you could remove the sort of conversational fandom aspect of the show as a pure product, watching in one day, I think would make for a much more rewarding viewing. Now, I'm going to say that I really like this episode a lot, but just more micro than what you're talking about. I wouldn't have minded at this point, episode seven, a little bit more straight up MCU action. You know, I, I was hoping Photon, Spectrum, whatever we're going to end up calling Monica, would trade a couple more blows. A bit like uh, the quick back and forth between Mando and Ahsoka Tano that we both were like, that was awesome. And it was short. Well, and it was perfect. I- I, to that point, I think that these last two are going to go to a long way to defining how the public views this show. If these last two sort of peter out and don't sort of hit an agreeable high that we're all like, oh, pff, that was worth <laughs> it. That, that was sick. Or, you know, what an awesome set piece. Or, but, but these last two are going to define because right now it is a effective, fun, but I wouldn't call it excellent. I wouldn't call it. Um, one of my favorite superhero pieces of content that the MCU has ever done. But if they stick the landing, I think that significantly changes the conversation that we're having about this show when it's done. And to your point, I wrote about this this week for Observer. It's delighting existing Marvel fans. But when you look at like third party metrics, such as new signups to Disney Plus, when you look at some of uh, the, the other kind of opinions from uh, entertainment media scholars, there seems to be an agreement or a unification between the data and the kind of critical opinion that non-existing music Marvel fans have not really been attracted because this is so insular, because it's so experimental, because it relies so much on looking inwards and backwards on established MCU canon. So it hasn't necessarily expanded the fan base. It's really just appeased many of the existing fan bases, which For is sure. exactly kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, all right, what is the nicest thing you can say about this episode, Eric? I think that Wanda's prospects in the future of the MCU are genuinely exciting. We can, at times, complain about this franchise's vanilla-ness, particularly when it comes to its heroes and villains. And this, and the way that they're starting to mold her into a good guy who said, fuck this shit, I'm doing it for me now. Um, that that genuinely brings something new to the table. Like, let's say Doc Strange does show up, right? And Wanda does not comply. He's faced with a difficult fucking choice. And that is something new in the MCU. So, and as you put out in a tweet, clearly Wanda's arc is going to be expanded further into Doctor Strange 2. And I think that's a great thing. The same way that they have fleshed out Vision into a real human character. The way that they've propositioned Wanda to grow from here and to potentially anti-hero almost seems too nice while villain seems too harsh, but somewhere in between, that's exciting. Well said. I agree completely. She is somewhere in between those two points and where she ends in WandaVision, where she goes after is going to be very fascinating to say. I think the nicest thing I can say about this episode is it packed a bunch of major reveals that answered some long-running questions within this series while very effectively setting up the penultimate and finale episode, which I'm now extra excited for, and I was already excited for. Yeah. All right, do you have any stuff that we think is cool that needs mentioning? Because I do No, not. that was sort of my deep dive into all the shit yeah. that we saw in that dungeon. All right, cool. Let us go to our Twitter questions. 
All right, at Ohio underscore sports fan underscore says, so the villain is Nightmare, right? It, it seems based on this and, and all of your great deep dive research that they are left turning from Mephisto and maybe borrowing some of those elements and attaching them to Nightmare to also set up Doctor Strange too, right? Yeah, that's my guess at this point, folks. I've been wrong a lot in my life and will be wrong a lot more, so don't hold me to it, but that is my best guess at this point. Yeah. At Mikey underscore P10 says that the engineer is Talos's daughter in disguise, which is why she said that she has more than Monica's mom to be grateful to. So he, he, you're Wait, is he confirming? Major- is he saying that as a fact of statement? I think he's saying major statement good, of fact. Good, good nerd. <laughs> Major Goodner is Talos's, da- uh, da- Talos's daughter. Like, like we said, I don't necessarily know if Major Good Good. What's what's her name? You're Good- the one who brought her name up. I, don't Goodner, know. I but yeah, but what's what was the uh, Gooden? Gooden was that it? That's what you wrote down. I I, I might have messed up the name, but I, I don't necessarily know. Like like it's been pointed out based on Tayona Paris's comments that that was necessarily the engineer. Yeah, no way. If someone being a scroll, someone minor not Hayward that I mean yeah that'd be cool I would like that a nice little just like hey this is also going on but as we said last week I think this to loop in the scroll is a sort of a hat on a hat it's a good point yeah that's true all right at music city nerd said do you think it's safe to rule Mephisto out after that big reveal no yeah. no I oh, don't wow you're you're not you're still opening the no door you think it's to rule him out entirely especially when you you put this tweet yeah you put this tweet in our notes about a, what appears to be a literal devil on the wall That's so true. but as we're saying i just i think they're co-opting some of the two characters traits and forming you know one one villain one demonic alternate nightmare yeah. reality type thing I think that's that's probably fair, yeah. Don't rule it out yet. Uh, at Joseph Saldano says, people are saying they're disappointed about the engineer reveal. I don't buy that. That's not the engineer that she was talking to through text. I think that engineer sent the truck, but that wasn't the engineer. I, I agree. And again, based on Tayona Paris's comments that it is a reveal, seems to suggest that that was just a, another woman connected to what, what's going on. Uh, at Nell Toro says, Westview is the nexus of all realities. The missing person on the milk cartoon is Wu's missing person. Also, the missing person is Dr. Ted Salas, a.k.a. Man-Thing. I don't know who Man-Thing is, but the missing person that Wu was initially going for, I, I don't think it was a child, but if it was... I do like that, though. That's a great... Yeah, that's a on great... paper. Yeah. For sure. Great call. I don't know who Man-Thing is, though. Do you? No. All right. Well, well, we'll do some research for the next I one. I do know who Man-Bat is, though. Shout out to our boy Batman. Just saying. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, at rocking the SJ 13 think Goodner was a fake out since last week. Monica clearly referred to her friend as he, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Well played. That's that's another, yet another reason why Goodner's not the aerospace engineer, just helpful friend, you know, who's loyal to the good sword. Right. Uh, at 15 minute Marvel said, do you think we will see Wanda and spectrum team up against Agatha before the end? That makes a lot of sense given how superhero stories seem to go. And given that Spectrum slash Photon is now like, all right, I'm fully in charge of my powers now. Yeah, you know, you and I had said, didn't we say last week that if Photon fully transforms into a hero that we don't expect Doctor Strange to show up? Did we say that? We, we did say that that would be one too many things. But I, she does emerge as, as a superhero here, but she has not yet done anything that is super heroic. I mean, she broke through the barrier, and I get no regular person's doing that, but like... 
she still hasn't gone full superhero. You know what I she, mean? She has no suit yet. Let's put it like that. <laughs> yeah. Well said. She needs to get her makeover yeah. before, before that can happen. Um, and then at Gothic Churro says, theory is Mephisto is Agatha Harkness's master. I think that was the old theory. I think now we're switching to kind of an amalgamation of Mephisto and Nightmare. All right. Any last thoughts, Eric? Yeah, these last two are going to go a long way to shape my overall feelings about the show. Like I've said, while I've been enjoying the experience and while it's a quality show, I do think they're keeping their cards to the chest a little too close. I would have liked some more substantive reveals, I guess. That I, I thought we got some, some substantive reveals today. Agatha thing is great, but we've known that, right? It's like she's- Yeah, but we didn't know she was responsible for uh, for Pietro. That was a huge question I had for a while. I I, I just- It also raises questions about like, is that just a recreation of another Pietro? Or is that Evan Peters' X-Men Pietro who's been plucked? It really depends. Like if these last two aren't balls to the wall, then then when it's all said and done, I'm going to have a problem with- the pacing of the show. I'm not sure they needed nine episodes to tell us this story. If these last two aren't on the scale of an MCU films third act. I would warn though, that they're definitely going to leave us with questions specifically to set up a Spider-Man three, a Dr. Strange too. So I will, I would warn everyone listening to not expect 100% of your questions to be answered. Yeah. Or else there's no more movies. (laughs) All right, well, that'll do it for us. We will be back next week doing the penultimate episode of WandaVision and all the cool news that pops up in between now and then. And one and last the thing. And the Winter Soldier. One Man, last thing that I just want to point out and is perhaps the most important thing that I've said on this podcast, and this is going to directly to you hearing this right now. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Please do. And follow Enjoy your weekend, y'all. Follow Postgrad Pod as well. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs>